Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Liron, the CTO of Rookout, and we discuss what market discovery looks like when creating new products, putting ego aside to hire people who are better than you, and Rookout's path to making software more understandable. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, John. How are you, my friend? Good. You grew a beard. I was, I, I was preparing for you. So I saw you had a beard and I was like, let me go grow this beard real quick. Yeah. That's what COVID-19 does to everybody. It is. It gave us an opportunity, though, because it really opened the door to be able to grow the beard and get through the awkward initial stage uh, without too much in-person shame. <laughs> exactly. Actually. COVID got me as the shortest beer for a while because uh, it got so long and so messy. I had to do away with it because it, it became very scary on video chat. It's hard to shape the beard. Like as it starts to grow in, it's you, you've got to kind of figure out the style and then, yeah. I figure out going to a barber walks. Yes. Well, your beard looks really good. Your whole your whole look looks really good. Thanks. It's my barber. I'll... I'll Send him the message. So you just go there and you say, make me look amazing. I have some pointers, but for the most part, yeah. And so where are you located today? Tel Aviv, Israel. Excellent. So I actually have like a lot of friends over there. I haven't, I haven't been yet, but I, I've gotten to go to RSA. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was basically like a representative of Israel and like a whole area at the security <laughs> conference. And I got to meet a bunch of people. It's very cool. See all the technology there. This was, this was about two years ago, but uh, ended up making some, some good friends and uh, it's definitely on my list of places to visit. You should not right now, but you should not right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so how is it? How is the, I'm curious to know actually about like, you, you get to hear the international news and you obviously get to work with some companies that are in the US. How, has there been much of a difference between how COVID's happened in Israel versus over here? Yeah, I mean, COVID got to Israel a bit after Europe, but before uh, the US around, I think just when Spain was getting hit after Italy. And we actually got, we locked down things pretty hard very early on. And so we, the first we got through the first wave very easily. It went about ten thousand people, very not too much. And then after they let it go for six weeks or so, everything got better. And then all of a sudden, they decided in two weeks to open everything back. So now we're in the midst of a very bad second wave already, and things are shutting down pretty fast. So we decided to speed things up. <laughs> <laughs> is your team uh, mostly remote or are they local in person? So they're local, but uh, working from home was an acceptable practice occasionally. So everybody is rather used to it. It's a big difference from doing it occasionally, doing it all the time. But uh, once you, you have some practice, it's not that bad. So I'm, I'm actually really excited about your product because I think it's, I think a couple things. The first thing that I was excited about when I landed on your website is how clear you had your value propositions. 
like toward they're towards the bottom but like this is how we help developers but then also you have this like interesting uh way to explore it reminds me of very much like how when stripe first came out and mm-hmm. i was trying to you know i was a developer and i was integrating stripe and i was used to these like long applications and all of these things you would have to do before you could see the interface but yet then you could click like trial or explore and you would jump right into it without a login mm-hmm. and be able to play with it i thought that was amazing and you have that similar feel on yours where you can just click explore and then the browser becomes the technology and it walks you through a sample and i think that i think that's fascinating yeah actually our director of product wrote a blog post about it because especially early on setting rookup up could be tricky and we spent so much time trying to get users to feel the magic by getting them to integrate it and then we just said we don't have to get them to integrate you don't have to get them to do the, all the hard work let them into an environment somebody else is integrated for them let them into an environment where everything is set up best practices everything is working and they can just experience the magic of it without doing all the heavy work so that they know what they're going to get after they go through all the hurdles and get everything up and running yeah it's like when you have a a repo and you're looking maybe for a javascript feature that you need to implement and they have the gif there so you can see it versus just the code and you having to pull down the code and compile it exactly and to see what it looks like yeah you're going to pull that repo it's probably going to be a lot of hard work to get everything up and running exactly the way you want it but giving you a sense of what you're going to get before you dive into it uh, gives you a lot of motivation uh, knowing it first of all it confirms it's right for you and gives you the motivation to go through the hard parts So how how did you come up with this idea? So early on about 4 years ago as I was actually living cybersecurity and deep diving into uh, dev tools and devops I read a whole bunch of books and wrote and one of them mentioned I, I think it was the the book by Mary Poppendick and she said that an organization can, uh, can be measured by how fast can they deliver a single line of code and kind of shocked me because on the one hand I completely agree how fast can you deliver code how fast can you change the code that that's a huge that's going to make a huge impact that's a big uh, kpi but on the other hand changing a line of code sometimes flipping a single bit i mean that's a huge uh, obstacle course you're going through you get you write you write a single line of code and then you have to get it tested you have to get it approved you have to restart a whole bunch of servers sometimes hundreds of thousands or thousands of servers and all you're essentially trying to do is flip a bit of flip a bit or add a line and so we kind of figured that there might be a better way that we could bypass much of this uh, complexity and unnecessary complexity just to if all you want to do is just read the variable value or add a log line that's pretty cool so so did you were you did you build this like while working on another project to like assist you and then you extracted it out or how did how did you come up with it so about 4 years ago i left my previous job and i figured uh, i want to build my own venture i felt i was kind of growing older and i don't know i had to like now or never moment so i figured dive right into it spent about 6 or 8 months looking for a partner looking for an idea and then that kind of hit us uh, we were uh, meeting a lot of tech leaders 
from various industries, various positions. And we also, we saw for all of them, orchestrating, delivering code was a challenge, whether it's yeah. delivering to production, but often delivering code to staging and a development environment is just as challenging. A lot of modern technologies are very production first, and so it makes development environments hard. I mean, in a microservices environment, setting up everything on your laptop is not always possible. Uh, debugging in microcube or microcube is not, not easy either. And so we kind of dive right into it and figured we know how to build a tool that will make it better. We know how to build a tool that will make it possible for you to change your code and collect information from it on the fly without going through the, the traditional software development CICD cycles. That's really interesting. So the example that you have on the website is a JavaScript-related example, but would this work with like Ruby code? So we don't yet have Ruby support. We have uh, support for anything running on the JVM, Java, Scala, Kotlin, Ruby, and so on. We have support for .NET, Node.js, uh, including transpiled, TypeScript, CoffeeScript, and so on, and Python. We are aiming to add Ruby, Go, and potentially PHP over the next year or so. That's exciting. So like, as a, like my background, you know, I've been writing code for like 17 years and I'm always curious, like to try to bring it back to like my experience so I can better understand it. So like if you make a change to some data, right? Like how you had in the example, you're making some changes to some data. How do you, is that, is it like specifically for debugging or are you actually changing the line of code in the file or is it like for the debugging process? So there are two portions of it. From a technological perspective, we're using a bytecode manipulation and other similar techniques to impact the application code. We literally edit the application code in memory on one or more servers to conform with your needs. But on top of that, we've built a dedicated experience that focuses on a debugging and even more so on software understandability, getting you to know what, what's going on in your code. And so we've built a whole lot of scaffolding around that use case, whether it's enabling you to select the right servers, setting the conditions that will get you the data you need, uh, putting in a lot of security and uh, performance safeguards that are gonna ensure you can use this technology very safely in production. Because once we allow you to change the application, then that's where risks come in. And that's where actually a lot of the stuff we're skipping, such as unit tests, make a lot of sense because you're making a change and testing it can be hard. But we guarantee that the changes you make through Rookout are not gonna impact your application at all. They're not gonna change the logic, they're not gonna change the correctness, they're not gonna change the performance or the availability. So we kind of take away all of those concerns for you. We take care of them and you can just enjoy uh, getting the data you want from any line of code. That's really interesting. How, well, okay. So I've got a lot of questions because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm excited about this. So the first question I have is when you're talking to like CTOs or technology team leads, what do you list as like what's valuable to them? Like why would they want Rookout? So uh, actually I've written quite a bit about it over the last few weeks. Uh, at the end of the day, software is 
man's creation. We, you, we can make it do almost anything we want with the exception of a few problems, such as the stopping problem. And, but out, within boundaries, we can do literally anything we want. The trick is that the software becomes more complex because we get more requirements, because we get the steam scales, the software scales. It becomes more complex and becomes harder to understand. And so quite often we are limited in our ability to deliver high quality software fast by how well do we understand our own system? How do we understand what we've built? Or how do we understand what the people who came before us built? Especially in larger organizations, software get ended off. And somebody five years ago, 10 years ago, wrote a piece of code. Now you get to maintain it. You have to update it and improve it. And you might not understand it as well. And that's, that's what blocking most software teams today in large organizations. How well do they understand? And how can they make the changes? How do they know which changes to make to achieve their goals? How can they make those changes in a way that's gonna, not going to have a negative impact on software quality, on software performance? And Rookout takes away much of the pain in understanding because traditionally you understand by adding logs, by adding metrics, and that's a time-consuming process that comes with a lot of risk and a lot of effort. And so many organizations are kind of struggling. Do I fly slow? Do I fly blind? And neither choice is good. Rookout allows you to get the data you need, when you need it, where you need it from instantly. I like it. And it's obviously attracting a lot of attention. I looked you guys up on Crunchbase and you got Cisco Investments and some other really big names as initial investors. Yeah. Cisco, as I'm sure you know, Cisco is a shifting left. They are moving from a hardware to a more a software subscription-based licenses. They've acquired two and a half years ago, F-Dynamics, uh, which is an APM company, one of the leading companies in that market. And there, there's a great synergy between what Cisco is, where Cisco is going and what Lookout is offering. And so Cisco invested in us. AppDynamics have started reselling Rookout under their own brand uh, to their customers. And there's a lot of, we're seeing a lot of synergy with a lot of other players in the market as well. Uh, data collection is critical to so many things everybody's doing. And Rookout is making data collection so much easier for everybody. That's exciting. Now, you've got like in the market, you've got these tools that allow you to do like diagnostics and metrics and monitoring. You know, you've got things like new relics, you've got things that capture errors with like session data so you can like replay it. How, how do you fit in amongst all of these, these areas? Most of those tools are about monitoring your software. It's about knowing the software is up and it's about knowing when it's doing something unexpected. Now, Rookout is different in a few ways. First and foremost, we're actually, even though Rookout is production grade and almost all of our customers deploy us and use us in production settings, they actually use us four or five times as much in non-production environments, development, staging, QA, whatnot. And the thing is, in a development environment, you don't expect the software to run properly. You expect the software to fail in a development environment because it's a development. And so just not knowing that software has failed is not as valuable in those environments. And it's a lot more about knowing why the software has failed or why is it behaving the way it's behaving. And that's kind of the magic of Rookout. Most of those other tools focus on providing you with predefined data that's going to provide you with some insights into what's going on, 
but you don't have a lot of flexibility. They're going to give you what they give you, and either you, you have no control over it, or you can only control it by adding more code and redeploying. Rookout is the only tool out there that provides you with full flexibility over what you're going to collect real time. And so you can collect additional data instantly. I love it. Besides that, thank you. Besides, we're seeing that most of those tools are serving DevOps, SREs, ops. They are serving people who care, is the system up? Is it running? Is everything working well? And you see that most software engineers who are developing software don't care about those questions as much. It's not their problem, so to speak. I mean, they do care. They wrote a project. It should, should work. But they are not the ones waking up in the middle of the night when things don't work. And often their tasks we rely on. Uh, they usually ask a different question every day. A software developer gets a new task every day, every week. And so he has asks a different question. Instead of asking, is latency good? Is uptime good? Uh, is everything working? Is asking about this component this day and then the next component the other day and a third component the day after that. And so, so the data it needs keeps shifting, keeps changing. And Rookout enables those developers to shift the data they are collecting instantly as the, their needs change. Let's give an example, okay? Let's say, like, so we have a leadership software and let's just pretend it's written in a language that, that yours supports because it's written in Ruby. But <laughs> um, it does have a, a, a JavaScript uh, front end, but... So let's say that that it's it's all written in one of the the languages that you support, and like, can you give me a like a specific scenario that would happen where I would need to go use the tool? Sure, you're editing a piece of code, you're editing a feature, and the function you're writing accept two arguments, x and y. What are the types for x and y? What are the values for x and y? And in, if you wrote the code, especially if you wrote it last week then you probably know the answer to that question. But if you wrote the code two years ago, or if uh, you're uh, the founder of, this, of the venture you were in and got acquired by Microsoft, wrote that code, then you might not know the answer to that question. And that's going to be a struggle for you. I mean, how do you change a function when you're not sure? Just, it can be a minor thing. I'm expecting to get a number, but is that number in string format or numeric format? Is it a float or an int? There are a whole bunch of questions. Uh, even in Java, it's a polymorphic class. What's the specific uh, type of the class? What's the values of the class? Who is calling that function? And I mean, as developers, we're tackling those kind of questions on a daily basis. And some of the customers we are working with are saying that those, it can take so long to add a log line to answer that question, that that's not going to bother because it's too expensive. They're going to take a guess or they're going to try to make something that works with whatever, whatever case is going to go. They're going to do three times as much work because they just can't get the data. That's true. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like you imagine that like all, all the companies out there are doing like best practices with, this is kind of like off topic, but uh, <laughs> like you imagine like all the companies are doing like best practices and very patient with their code and better than you, you know, uh, as a, as an engineer. And then when, when I've gotten to go out and like, you know, meet teams and explore, 
it's it's not the case. It's like most of the developer teams are average. They try to implement the best that they can, but uh, I definitely see the use for for what you guys are doing. You know, it's even more than that. I mean, when you think of the most commercial software out there, the software that's making money for people, the software that's making money for companies, that software wasn't written two years ago with ECMAScript 2018 and everything's fine. That software was written with Java Enterprise Edition. It was written on mainframes. It was written with PHP. And that stuff still has to run. I mean, when I was a junior engineer, I joined a project which was written by people. I, I only got a glimpse of them. They left the, the company long before I joined. And the people I were my seniors and left shortly after I joined say that some of the people who wrote that project were the brightest people they ever met. And in what little I met them, I definitely agree. And yet, 10 years after they wrote that, that piece of code, nobody understood it. It was complex, it got layered over time after time. And we could barely understand that piece of code, even though it was written by some of the brightest people I know. And that's the nature of software. It grows, it becomes complex, it becomes layered over time after time. It gets misused or reused. And at the same time, that's the software that's actually making money for the world, actually make, bringing value. You can't just ditch it because we want to develop a fancy new JavaScript or whatever. And that fancy new JavaScript you're writing right now, if it's gonna make money, somebody 15 years from now is gonna be maintaining that and complaining about your code. That is true, that's true. I love it, I like this concept, it's actually, it's something I feel because a lot of the projects I had, I've done in life were like takeover projects. You know, it's like a comp, you know, it needed to scale or it wasn't just wasn't good and they knew it wouldn't scale. So it'd have to be rewritten or whatever it may be. Or developers just left, like entire companies went out of business and we inherited their code <laughs> and had to improve it. And this concept that you're speaking to, I'm trying to wrap my mind around your product because we talk about debugging, but there's like this concept of debugging and then there's this concept of understandability and I can mm -hmm. see both. I, I completely see the junior engineer who got a project that the senior engineer is working on the new thing and they're like, all right, we just we need a small bug fix over here on this old legacy project. Just give it to one of the junior engineers, let them spend 20 hours trying to figure out one thing that needs to change. And so that, that process of understandability it's not something I've I've heard a whole lot uh, discussed as far as like I've I've heard it discussed in you know best practices or if you're reading like a Martin mm. Fowler or if you're reading some engineering mm. people, uh, I hear understandability talked about there in reference to writing code, but in reference to uh, and that that's usually in reference to writing new code or the code mm -hmm. you're currently working on, but when the conversation switches to understanding older code, understanding legacy code. That's something that I don't think there's a lot of products built around. That's true because by nature, most software tools out there were not meant to be adopted for all projects. I mean, everybody's speaking of Kubernetes and Kubernetes is awesome, but most projects aren't being migrated to Kubernetes. And you, you hear of uh, legacy projects, they're usually migrated through lift and shift. And down the line, some of them may, may get rewritten in a more of microservice architecture or whatnot. Uh, refactoring an architecture is a huge undertaking. In fact, you mentioned Martin Fowler. 
he gave this amazing talk a few years ago. I watched it on YouTube about the meaning of the word architecture and what it means in software engineering. And the word architecture literally means how to change. And so whenever you speak, that's literally the literal word of the meaning. And so when you're speaking of changing the architecture of your software, changing the architecture of your application, you're by definition undertaking a big task, an expensive task that may not repay for itself. And so it's not most tools out there. I mean, shifting an application from a SQL database to a NoSQL database, shifting from a monolith to, an, to a 12-factor application, those are expensive tasks. And they might benefit some applications, but you, they can't always be justified. And quite often, we have to make more with what we have without pipe dreaming about what we're going to do someday. And there is definitely room to improve there. As software engineers, we're also always trying to rush for the next big things, whether it's uh, rebuilding the application from scratch and using new technologies. And nobody likes old code, nobody likes maintaining. And yet, that's where the value is. Because if you're writing a new application, there's a big chance no one is ever going to see it. But if you change a line of code in an existing application, maybe a million people are going to see it tomorrow. That's true. That's interesting. You know, it reminds me of this conversation about, I had some CTOs asking me when I was like visiting their offices, how do they, how do they keep their engineers excited? Engineers that are working on old code, like how do they keep them excited? Now I have an answer. I'd be like, buy on Rookout. <laughs> Actually, that's, that, that, that's, that's funny, but it's true. I mean, we had quite a few corporates. Uh, where, when you're in corporate, then you're obviously often maintaining old code. And as I mentioned, most soft, cool new software out there can't easily be adopted. I mean, you can't just change the database. You can't just change the architecture. But giving them new toys to play with is definitely an option. Whether those toys have real business value or not, I like to believe Rookout does have real business value. And so we're actually seeing uh, some corporate customers that are really excited about being able to get a new shiny tool that's going to make their lives better without having to rework the entire architecture, without having to wait a decade for a, the new technology to make its way into the enterprise. Because installing Rookout is so easy. You can do it in 20 or 30 minutes, no matter what architecture you're running on, no matter what you no matter if you are running on the cloud or on-prem. And so it's fun. So when you met, I want to take it back a little bit. When you met uh, your co-founder, you have a co-founder, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you described earlier that you spent, a, you left your job, you spent a couple months, six, seven months exploring ideas and meeting people and things like that. What was the day like that you met your co-founder? I actually met my co-founder a long time ago uh, in the army basic training. He was one of our instructors in a cybersecurity training, but Fast forward 10 years later, uh, I was actually at the gym. I had a very, very bad day at work and I was thinking of quitting. I actually, the day before I was sitting with my brother who was my roommate at the time watching TV. And we were like, I'm not sure how to go start, get started on a job hunt. And then I met him at the gym and he asked how I'm doing. I said, I'm thinking of getting a new job. And so we went for a beer a few days after and started uh, discussing it looking for jobs, uh, building companies. He was working on a different project, which uh, 
he canceled a few months after that. And then we started after being in touch for a few months around various projects we considered, we started working together. That's pretty cool. And then how did you narrow it down to building this product? So we met a lot of software engineers, as I mentioned, tech leaders. We met to think about 20 or 30 of those over, over two or three months. And the beginning, we had virtually no idea. It was kind of very market discovery, lean startup style. We meant, we know, we were thinking of the DevOps space because we felt we were somewhat familiar with it and that we were, it seemed like a good space to raise funds and build a company. And we started asking people, what's DevOps for you? What's your pain? And during those first meetings, we came up with five different ideas every day. And then we threw them out the window the, day, the next day. And we've kind of narrowed it down to a handful of ideas. One of them was a cost reduction, which we felt wasn't that interesting and we were wrong. I mean, at the time, spot, spottings were already pretty big and we weren't sure there was room for anybody else. Now I know there's plenty of room in cloud cost optimization and they've done very well for themselves. And one of the other things was the problem I mentioned to you, how hard it is to get a piece of data, how hard it is to push just a single log line to production. And as we drove deeper into that problem, we kept feeling, kept feeling there is something the world is missing, that we have a solution to this problem. We know how to do something that for some reason nobody else is doing. I love it. So you met with these people, you met 20, 30 people, developers, exploring the DevOps space, come up with a bunch of ideas after every conversation that you're having. And then you notice that there was this trend with how hard it is. Like that trend kept coming up in all your conversations about how hard it is to get a single line into production. I would say that around, uh, the thing is when you're doing market discovery or in general, when you're trying to learn, early on in the process, you're mostly asking questions and become, you, you learn a lot every meeting. But then later on, hopefully, as you start to narrow things down, you can actually predict how will those meetings go through. You can actually expect uh, the person to fall into one or two or three or four categories and give you the spiel you already know. So we've come to expect that we can, uh, we kind of came to expect what's going to happen. And then we got to the point where we could convince about half the people we met in the validity of the idea. And that's without having any proof of concept, without having any mockups. We're just asking them if you could push a single line of a single log line into production without going through CICD instantly. Would that help you? And the answer was yes for over half the people we met, uh, and that's huge. I'm not sure how many in the audience have tried to pitch an idea to somebody, but getting people to buy in to an idea uh, without having anything to show for it, I mean that's big. But it's useful because. When you figure that out, that that line or that sentence, when you figure out what that value is, then it makes it really clear how to begin building the product. Exactly. Once you know what people are looking for, that's the that's when you should start building. Because if you're building something you don't know how to sell, then there isn't much point in building it. At least not yet. So, what does your team look like today? How how many people do you have on your team? So Rookout is almost 30 people. We're a bit half and half between tech and business. Business is comprised of a 
a marketing team, a sales team, a lot of solution engineers uh, working with our customers hand in hand, uh, guiding them through, learning from their experience and occasionally helping them. I was surprised by how, how often hard it is for customers to understand even to keep track of their own environments, how hard it is to be proficient. I mean, you have a cloud and you have orchestration and Kubernetes and CICD and Jenkins. Everything adds up. And for many companies, just keeping on top of all those tools is quite a challenge. And so having our solution engineers who are proficient with all those uh, concepts and technologies is a huge boon working with customers. And we have our tech team with uh, engineers, both a lot of engineers working on our SaaS offering, uh, delivering the user experience and the, uh, let's say the, the user experience, the platform, the enterprise readiness. And we have a small team working on the SDKs upsets, the agents that get, gets installed on customers. And uh, we have a very strong DevOps team. We are delivering software on a daily basis, often multiple times a day. And we have the product team, the UX team. So a little bit of everything. Nice. What are you really excited about? So it's amazing seeing this idea come to life. It's amazing seeing a team so uh, talented and dedicated to working on it and pushing it forward. And it's always amazing seeing new customers uh, deploy the product and seeing them benefit from it. Uh, and yet, Something, I think one of the most things I like the most is those first uh, meetings with customers, the very first meeting when they just see the product for the first time and they're like, that can't be so. Why didn't anybody tell me before that it was possible? That can't be possible. And I've seen so many jaws drop, literally, that it's so fun just seeing the impact the product can make and seeing how much of pain each and every one of us has gone through uh, understanding code, debugging during our careers and how much would, can such a tool save for so many people? Well, I'm a fan. <laughs> Thank you. So do you, I, you said you read some Martin Fowler. He often is, you know, very like one of the greatest writers in software engineering alive, right? Now, yeah. I'm curious, do you follow anybody for like leadership content, like the human side of leadership? So I read a book and I look, I don't remember it by how there was, I think it's called The Manager's Path. I have to mm, admit, yeah. I don't remember who wrote it. I think it was a woman. It was, yeah. Uh, so that, <laughs> that's an awesome book. And one of the things I, I read about it, I read that book when I was at the point of my career, when I was a manager of managers, which is fairly late for uh, as careers go. And the nice thing about it, she starts off with uh, you as a junior software engineer, what, what are your roles and what should you do to manage yourself, to manage uh, your relationships, to manage your boss as you, as you grow from a, from a junior engineer to a senior engineer, to a manager, to a manager of managers, and then up to leading engineering and the old agnostic title of CTO, which I currently hold, which doesn't mean much and yet means, means everything at the same time. And it was really interesting uh, reading it, thinking back of 
my days as a earlier in my career, as well as trying to predict forward and learn uh, how to be better. Do you recommend that book to your team? So books are somewhat controversial these days. I find that most people aren't as appreciative of reading books as I am. So I'm not often recommending books, but it's definitely something I would recommend to anybody who likes reading books. And I did recommend it to a few folks who were asking about either career progression or uh, how do, what do I do as a manager in tech. So it's a, definitely an amazing book. And obviously the other book, which I'm a big fan of, is The Phoenix Project. Oh, yeah. That's a good book. Yeah. Besides having a somewhat better storyline than the goal, which was horribly boring, though very useful by, all by itself, it really brings to life. And one of the things I like the most about it is that you can bring it to non-technical people and they get a grasp of the DevOps movement and even some of the challenges Rookout is trying to change because we're essentially skipping many of those uh, very hard to manage processes. And so what do you do with like growing your team? Oh, that's, that's a good question. So actually, these days I brought on a, a VP of engineering, a VP of research and development, who's managing tech on a, managing engineering on a day-to-day basis. And to be fair, uh, he's probably a much better manager than I am. Yeah, I hope he's listening to this. Uh, it's, we were actually team leaders uh, side by side, and he grew and kept going in his career and managed more and more people and got more experience in it. While I went down other paths, founded a company, did some more hands-on work, found myself taking on more, uh, taking on more tasks in uh, marketing, in speaking, even in sales occasionally. And he was focusing much more on the managing people. And I think that as a CTO, especially as a founder, at some point, as, as I mentioned, CTO is a very broad and all-meaning title. And at some point, you often have to let go of managing people because you might not be the best person to do it. So he's the one who's doing most of the managing of day-to-day of the engineers. And both for him and for me, it's very important to develop people, allow them to express themselves, allow them to learn to grow, to learn from each other, but he's the one managing it day to day. Nice. I'm a big fan of hiring people who are better than you or, and then like letting them do something that they're really great at because at the end of the day, I mean, we're trying to bring, build big companies and be very useful and you're going to need a lot of great people on your team uh, that can, can do all of these different things. And then you're also going to need a lot of self-awareness on what you're good at and what you enjoy. Yeah, definitely. And I would have to say that as an engineer, as, as a manager, as a an engineer, hiring people who are better than you is one of the most challenging things, but it's also one of the most important things as a manager. It's very hard from an ego perspective often, but it's the right thing to do. Find people who are better than you. You can't be the best at everything. And in fact, you don't have to be the best at anything if you just hire very good people. Yeah, if you think of yourself like the coach of the company, you just want the best players on your team, right? Exactly. It's like you you just need to collect the greatest people and 
ensure that their objectives and alignment in life is in line with what you can offer them so that everybody's driving towards the same goal. And then when you have that, you get this nice momentum being built and you know, you raise money from Cisco and then you take over the world. <laughs> yeah, at some point we'll be building Skynet, but that's in the future. <laughs> I think Elon Musk is a little bit ahead, but yeah, he might he might use Rookout a, to debug Skynet. <laughs> yeah, it's a race I'm willing to go for. Yes. Oh, I like you now. You're on my team. <laughs> I'm, I like to read the books, uh, life stories of billionaires so I can figure out like how they think and so that I can have an edge up on competition with them. <laughs> yeah. Let's see who gets to build Skynet first. Right. Oh, I like it. I, I, I really, I like the way you think. I like your, I like your style, my friend. Thank you. I like you too. W- what do you do for fun? How do you relax? Oh, a few years ago, it was probably, it would probably been a lot of scuba diving which I haven't mm. been doing lately, and trekking. Uh, these days, it's walking out from home, at home, reading some computer games occasionally, which is interesting because actually today, uh, with COVID-19 breaking out, some of our best customers are gaming companies, which is a bit of a dream come true. Uh, I mean, those, so many of those companies are growing like crazy. I mean, online play is going through the roof. Everybody's stuck at home. And so many of those companies are trying to scale up their infrastructure. They're, they're trying to deliver new features. They're trying to make the most of what they have. And every small bug they can fix is costing them money. Every new feature they can deliver is making them money. And so we're seeing a lot of success working with those companies and enabling them to do more and deliver more value. And it's a bit of a dream come true, you know, as a kid, I was dream of developing uh, computer games and I never got around to it and yet uh, working with those companies and providing them tools a bit of closure yeah it's nice to be able to be in the area of your dreams right yeah it's interesting my daughter is three years old and we gave her an ipad thing it's not an iPad, like the amazon fire tablet or whatever and there's like a kids app and you go into the kids app and it kind of like freezes the screen a little bit so that the kids only stay in that app. (laughs) Uh, And there's like games and kids YouTube and all this different stuff she can do in there. And I was watching over her shoulder the other day. And I mean, this girl isn't even completing like full sentences and she's navigating, playing a game playing one of those games where you press a square and it'll show you an image and there's like nine squares and you have to find the two images, you know? And uh, she's playing this game and then she backs, she wins it. She goes into another game, plays that for a little bit, closes it out and goes and starts watching a, a, one of her baby videos that she likes. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? This is unbelievable. <laughs> she's, she's turning three in September. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know how you teach machine learning by incentivizing and letting the machine know what's good and what's bad. So it's the same with people. Yes. They yes. get incentives, so they figure out how to get more of them. Do you have kids yet? Not yet. I have a dog. You have a dog. Yeah. yeah. The kids are definitely like as a technologist, you will like it's it's fascinating to watch because it's like textbook AI organic algorithm inside <laughs> of a human. <laughs> It's just yeah. unbelievable. Like when you watch them like actually learn over three days, like how to stand up or 
or how to get like food in their mouth correctly. You can just see the trial, the failure, and then the success and then repetition. And then they get, it just happens so fast. It is like machine learning right in front of you. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, in general, the fact that people can, people move in so many ways, uh, often so fast for better and for worse. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Kids especially. Yeah, I think like when talking about like kids to dogs, I think one of the big difference is um, other than the species, <laughs> I think one of the big differences is like the kids have this like drive to figure things out and to understand. So they're just like constantly, especially when they can walk, they just move from like one thing exploring to another thing exploring. Whereas like our dog will just kind of like, you know, hang out and be happy and eat, but they're not like yeah. constantly driven to explore and understand. Yeah, dogs are so much easier to get them to make happy than people. <laughs> so, so much easier to satisfy. I mean, give them some food or take them out. They'll be wagging their tails and happy all over the place. People are much harder. People are very hard. People are hard be, uh, because they're, they're very complex. Like, I thought it was interesting. The other day, I accomplished some goals that I'd been working towards a long time. And I was like, actually a little bit sad about it. Because it's like, okay, well, now I got to, you know, I achieved it. The journey is so much fun, yeah. right? And it's, impo it's important to have like goals set up along the way so that you don't run out of goals. <laughs> uh, so many people don't understand, but if you're suffering just to get some goal, then you're probably doing it wrong. I mean, not many goals are worth suffering for. And often when you actually achieve that goal, it's a very bittersweet moment. Yes. And then it also teaches you a lot about time because there's like, you know, we've all wanted something in a short period of time and suffered for it greatly. And then I guess one of the big, big changes in my life was when I found this author, uh, James Clear. He has this book called Atomic Habits. And he's mm -hmm. basically, the concept is just look at your habits and extend those out and that's what you'll get more of. And so mm -hmm. by structuring your habits over the course of a day, a week, or a month, understanding what those yield, then it's you can actually achieve really large things without intense suffering. I think generally as you get older, you try to manipulate your own behavior much more. I mean, when you're young, you're just trying to do your thing and maybe manipulate the environment. As you grow older, you understand that what you achieve, how happy you can be, so much more about manipulating yourself than it is about manipulating others. And you can achieve quite a lot and you can be very happy if you just point yourself in the right direction. Yeah, I've been learning a lot. And I think you're right too. I haven't heard someone say it like that. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten much more interested in my behavior, the results, mm -hmm. success. I, it's partly, you know, maybe because of time, right? You just realize like, okay, you can start to understand. I think it's a weird uh, moment when you start, like when you get around, you know, Yeah, I found for myself it was a lot about acceptance. 
I mean, I've always accepted myself, but in some ways I was always trying to improve and change myself. And at some point you understand that brute forcing your way into a better self, into a better life, is not necessarily the approach. I just want to be better. Uh, it's much easier to, much more constructive to manipulate yourself and get yourself doing the better things, get yourself, put yourself in the position when it would be easy for you to do what you want to achieve in the first place, rather than put yourself in a hard spot and then hope you would be able to still do what it is you're trying to do, if you get my point. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like uh, one's more self-destructive, like I'm going to put myself in a, in a hard position to watch myself get out of it. And another way of achieving it is I'm going to create an environment where the thing I want has a high probability of success. Like if I put myself in this environment, if I put my, for me, if I put my running outfit out next to my bed, I have a much higher chance of running that morning than if I don't. <laughs> exactly. So you can go and say, I want to run every morning, or you can do a spend two minutes before you go to bed to increase the chances that come morning, you'll go out running. And it's much yeah. more productive doing it the second way. Yes, it is. And then it's weird because it brings up this whole like area of life about how important the environment is, like your environment mm -hmm. around you. And it's like, you know, you put good food in your fridge and you don't buy bad food, then you're going to choose from eat your available better. option. Yeah, you're going to eat yeah. better, right? Exactly. And the same goes for your walk. Choose a good boss, choose a good tech, choose a good company with a good... Choose a company with a good work-life balance, you're going to have a good work-life balance. Choose a company with a bad work-life balance and try to fight through it. You're probably not going to succeed. And even if you do, it's going to be a struggle every step of the way. Figure out what's important for you and put yourself on track to get it. So for you and your co-founder building this company, what are some of the things that are like really important that you like to see in, in new hires in your team? So we like to see, to see learning both in oneself, being able to teach oneself and facing challenges and learning through them, as well as learning from the team, knowing that I'm probably not the best in everything I'm doing and there are people out there who can teach me. And even if I'm the best at something, there's still more to learn. Maybe even somebody who's not that good at something still knows something I don't. And just the same, want them to be passionate about teaching those around them. And I also think, in a way, teaching brings camaraderie. There is nothing that brings people close as teaching each other and going through challenges through that shared uh, knowledge and learning. And so, I mean, it's really, especially in a startup, but in every company, it's all about learning. In every society, it's all about learning. I like it. Yes. Man, it sounds like you're going to have a really big company soon. It's gonna yeah, it's gonna so. go right to the top. You're building something that's very useful. You've got the right partners in, in the business. You you know found the product, did your market discovery, you're you're building with the correct culture. I'm like, I'm real excited for you in the future. Come join us sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I you know, when all the lockdown stuff's over, I really do have like quite a few people in Tel Aviv I need to go visit. So and I haven't gotten to go there yet, like ever. So uh I think it'd be I think it'd be a good trip out there. 
it has some of the best bar and food scenes in the world. So you really, it. yeah. Is it is it different styles of food or what what type of food is it? So there's quite a bit of everything. I think that mo- the thing I appreciate the most about food is that you can always get it, and even from what I found, especially in Europe, you can only get food up until a certain hour at night, and after that, it's kind of food is out of the window and also you don't have it's either yeah, there are places you eat and there are places you drink and in tel aviv you can you can do everything at the same place and you can up until midnight have some of the best places are open up until midnight and you have some of the bars that serve awesome food and there is just everything there is a craft beer there is great wine local and imported there is awesome cocktails there's a whole bunch of stiffer drinks food from all over the world and a lot of local stuff. So it's just fun. I live in a retirement town. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I live, yeah, uh, I live in Florida in a beach city. And so like the most amazing thing to me is when I get to go to like, you know, New York or San Francisco or Boulder and I go in the grocery stores and it's just a bunch of like 30, 40 and 50 somethings. And then when I come back home, I'm like, I go to the grocery store. I feel like it's a nursing home. <laughs> so yeah. We also have a beach in Tel Aviv. Uh, we don't have that many nursing homes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good average age. There's some, some nice middle-aged people there. Yeah, it's mostly people in their 20s. It's a bit, somewhat of a college town, somewhat of an army town, somewhat of a lot of young couples, a lot of young families. Nice. Sounds like a blast. I look. I look forward to it. When I go out there, I'll let you know. Maybe you could show me some uh, some places to to eat or drink. Definitely. Now, as we as we start to wrap up, were there any points that we didn't discuss? I know you have you have like a free trial version of Rookout. Yeah. So Rookout, we have a free trial. It's actually free for a single person, so you can always go online and sign up and use it for free on your weekend project or your garage next big thing. Uh, we have very flexible pricing plans for small teams up to very large enterprises. And so reach out to us, uh, to me, to the team online, and we'd be happy to assist you. Nice. I like, I like your, the brand too, because I was looking at your uh, like LinkedIn stuff that you've shared. You've got some good content. You write a lot. You're actually a very good writer. And then there's also... Uh, like some funny memes and stuff about like, <laughs> I was like, yes, I like these people. This is so cool. We'll send you a sticker pack. Then you'll truly appreciate us. Yes, I will. I will sticker. I will use the sticker back. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.